Philippians 4, 1 to verse 3, God's word says this. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Paul says, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat or I request Iodia, that's a, a woman's name, and I entreat Syntyche, another woman's name, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, Paul says, true companion or friend, one of his friends within the church, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. This, this week, Paul, the Apostle Paul, will enter into the realm of, of correction here in this letter that we've been uh, searching and looking towards and learning from over the past few months. Uh, as we found, Philippians is a, is a letter about great joy in the Lord. Uh, Paul says repeatedly, rejoice in the Lord always, and he reemphasizes that statement. Again, I will say rejoice it's also a letter about thankfulness and gratefulness toward this church who had sent their brother Epaphroditus to go to Paul. He was in prison to encourage him while he was uh, in jail. And so Paul was thankful for that and sent a letter to uh, the church regarding that. But Paul is also, we know he's a church planter. He's a shepherd. He's an overseer for the Lord to this local church. And this, this passage that we are in this morning conveys a point of correction. He's going to course correct uh, the church this morning, and we have a lot to learn from this passage. And it's a reminder of the, of the outside forces that seek to destroy what we would call the body of Christ or the church. And also, the, in this passage in particular, the inside division that if in, left in, in disrepair, not fixed, can rip a church apart. This is a passage on unity, the unity of the body, which is an incredibly important topic to the church and is relevant, I would say, to every church in every generation. Every church is going to face differences and disunity within its body at some point in time. And so this is an incredibly relevant passage to us this morning. It's also relevant because recent tragedy that we've just prayed for in our community reminds us that the mission that Christ has entrusted to us is far too important to allow our differences and our divisions to distract us from what God has called us to be and to do within our community. In addition to that, so we've had tragedy within our community, but we also have witnessed, I'm going to get to this a little bit later in, in my sermon, but I want to just kind of give you a preview. We've also witnessed cultural pressure. Uh, I noticed this this past week. Maybe if, you, if you're on social media much, you have noticed a, a headline this week aimed at, it was a spun headline. When I, when I say spin, it means that a headline's put out there, but it's not necessarily truthful. There was a, a headline about uh, the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson is a professing Christian. This isn't about politics, but this man has professed Christ, so we're going we're gonna to say he's a Christian. And there was a, a headline about him and his son that was had a lot of spin on it. And it showed me as I saw that this week, as I sought out the truth in that headline and what kind of the complaint that was lodged against him made me seek out what's the truth underneath this if this man's a Christian and, and yet this headline's hanging out there about him. It showed me just the pressure from the culture on the church. And so we know that this passage is incredibly relevant to us. Uh, uh, this Again, uh, this headline this last week, it grants Christians a picture that unity within the body is of utmost importance as we minister, we found in our community and within cultural pressure that we minister to a fallen and dark world. 
a fallen and dark world. And so the question comes about, how can we possibly withstand and endure in our Christian faith if we have divisions among us? That's what Paul's getting at. How can we witness to the unbelieving world the marvelous truths of the gospel if we bite and devour one another? Right? The outside pressure is enough. That's what I'm getting at. We do not need internal division also. This brings us to our main idea. Our main idea is this. Our heavenly citizenship requires us to be unified. And Paul uses this phrase over and over again in this particular passage. He says, in the Lord. To be unified in the Lord. The the command of unity flows from and stems forth from the Christian gospel. The good news about Jesus. And his reconciling power through this. Through his perfect life, death, and his resurrection. If Jesus has fixed our broken relationship with God, he's a reconciler, how can we let division run rampant within the body of Christ or the church? If we look back to chapter 3, verses 18 to 20, Paul gets at really the internal and external pressures on the church and the reality that our citizenship is in heaven. He says this, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul says this, but our citizenship is where? Is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus, this is what has occurred in our lives. We've been won away, we've been pulled away from darkness and into the light. We've been one out of the world, the world system, and the ruler of darkness, and we have been one into heavenly citizenship. Uh, if you'll recall from last week's sermon, we recognize from Paul's writing to the Ephesians that we have, he says this, we've been saved by grace, and we have been seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places, he says. We have thus changed positions from a position in opposition of God, a rebellion towards God, To this, to an alignment and adoption into him, into his family, and into the fellowship of believers. We call this the church. And a significant mark of the local church should be love and unity. Love and unity. John 13, 34 to 35 says this. This is Jesus' instruction. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Then he's going to reiterate that point. Just as I have loved you, again, you are also what? To love one another. When Jesus repeats something twice, it's important. If he says it once, it's important. He says this, by this, what's the result? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples or my followers or that you're Christians. If you have what? Love for one another. The world is looking. Love for one another marks us out from the world. Again, Jesus emphasized, right? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What is it? Love. The church is to be positively different than the world. And yet, I think most of us can think of times that we have acted in accordance with the world's values, even in the fellowship of believers. We've probably all experienced hurt from a brother or sister in Christ. This is a sermon about overcoming disunity in the example that we find in Paul's exhortation to this church where he says to agree in the Lord. And the first step is this, is to stand firm in the Lord, right? Stand together, stand firm in the Lord. 
The pressure of the world and the beauty of the gospel must bind us together. The gospel, right? The blood of Jesus is the glue that holds all of us together. We are, this is a diverse church, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different economic experiences, different occupations brought together under the blood of Jesus, bound together in the gospel to stand firm with one another in the face of difficulty, Right? We are at odds with the world and its supposed system of values and persuasions. Paul says this in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for. He says this, my joy and crown. This is beautiful. Like, listen, this is a shepherd's heart. This is a pastor's heart. I love you. I long for you. You are my joy and my crown. Now, what's his instruction? Stand firm, right? Stand firm. What does that mean? He, they're committed together in conviction, Right, Their beliefs, they're bound together. Stand firm thus in the Lord, there it is again, my beloved, my loved ones. I mentioned, I said I was going to get to it in a little bit, I mentioned a peculiar headline pinned in, in mockery of House Speaker Mike Johnson, again, a professing Christian. Now, I know the Rolling Stone magazine is really a bastion of truth, but that's where the headline originated. <laughs> And it was, it was perpetuated, this headline was perpetuated in other cultural communications, such as, I saw it repeated in, in the magazine Vanity Fair. The headline read this. This is, this is a startling headline. Mike Johnson, quote, Mike Johnson admits he and his son, his son 17, monitor each other's porn intake. Now, that's a headline that you read that makes you go, hmm, this is a leader in our nation. I need to investigate this claim a little further. We call this, when these types of headlines are put out on the internet, we call it clickbait, right? They're just trying to get people to click. And again, I'm not getting into the realm of politics. I'm just talking about a complaint lodged against a public figure who happens to be a Christian. Further investigation into the headline, so I, I researched for myself. Further investigation into the headline reveals that Mike Johnson and his 17-year-old son utilize a software called Covenant Eyes. Who hears, has anybody here heard of Covenant Eyes? It's a Christian company. They, what they do is they safeguard technology users, so people who use smartphones and iPads and computers, from accessing explicit content or pornography and material. That's a good thing. I have, as a ministry leader, have recommended to a number of people that struggle uh, with looking at things they shouldn't look at on their computers to subscribe to Covenant Eyes. And I, in fact, have been an accountability partner to a number of men uh, throughout my Christian life who have used this exact software. Right? If, and this is how it works. If something objectionable, say pornographic images, is accessed on the device, a report is sent to your accountability partner. And so in this case, what happened? Mike Johnson and his son have this software on their devices, and their information is shared with one another through accountability reports. And, and the video that Rolling Stone is referred to, uh, Mike Johnson says this, I'm delighted to share that my son has a clean slate. What a loving father to protect his son from explicit content on the internet, and to be willing also to say, I have so much integrity in this area, I'm willing to put this software on my devices and have the accountability report sent to who? My son. I, I actually think this is a beautiful thing, and yet the world spins this as odd or weird or disgusting. 
Do you see how we're at odds with the world and its values and systems of belief? It's just one example. Why, why would I share such a deceptive headline? Because it is the pressure that each of us face in the public profession and outworking of our faith. In other words, people are going to look at you that aren't Christians. They're going to say, you're weird. You're odd. Which I would agree, we're all kind of weird, aren't we? If we hold to our values as Christians, we, are eventually, we will eventually be looked at by secular culture as odd or weird. Paul, Paul said earlier in the letter, in, in Philippians 1, 27 to 28, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I hear this, I may hear of you that you are what? Standing firm in one spirit, that you are holding fast to the word of God with one mind. You notice the unity in these statements. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Hear this, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. The pressure of the world is not going to get to us. We will stand firm in our convictions together, in unity together as the body of Christ. Unity begins with standing firm together in the Lord, together in our convictions. It's the origination of our faith in Christ Jesus, our great hope that we are positioned in his love and his righteousness and the completion of our salvation upon his second coming and our glorification in him. As we stand firm in the Lord, we must remain unified. How does that happen? Number two, right? Because differences are going to happen in the church. That's a reality of worshiping with a bunch of people that still struggle with sin. I struggle with sin. You struggle with sin. We're going to have differences. What do we do about it? Okay? We are to be reconciled in the Lord. There's that phrase again, in the Lord. We're to be reconciled in the Lord. Paul, he's, he's going to now address a specific issue within this particular church, which involves two women who have had a sharp disagreement. How would you like to be the two ladies in the church that are named in their disagreement in Holy Scripture? <laughs> we understand that the, these two ladies, they're, they're important. They have prominence within the church. These are, these are partners with Paul in the gospel, he says. They're vital leaders, we can conclude, in, in evangelism to the lost and discipleship of new converts. And it appears that their disagreement has caused two factions to be formed in the church, right? Two uh, different groups. Division is what we're looking at. I'm glad this kind of stuff doesn't happen in the church anymore, right? Anybody with me? <laughs> All kidding aside, I want you to check out the, the approach Paul takes in his correction. Verse 2, it's beautiful. It's just so simple. He says, I entreat. Now, I want to pause. We don't usually use that word entreat too much. What does that mean? I request or I ask. Right? I implore you. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to what? Simply put, agree in the Lord. What is he saying? Get along. Come together. Be reconciled. And I love that he says, in the Lord. He doesn't just say agree, agree in the Lord. He's bringing God into this because God matters. The gospel matters. Unity matters within the body of Christ. The, the, simplicity, the simplicity of Paul's instruction and his wisdom is evident here. We see the wisdom of Paul. How, how is he wise? Because he doesn't just call out one side. He doesn't just name one lady. Paul doesn't take sides in this passage he says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now, I want to tell you what, when you get called out by name, you better pay attention, right? 
When I was a kid, when my mom wanted to get my attention, she didn't just say Keith. Okay, she threw in the middle name. Anybody with me? Right? When I, and if mom threw in the middle name, you better pay attention and you better come running. You better listen. Paul here is calling them out and saying, you guys better listen. This is a letter about joy, thankfulness, but there's some stuff that's off within your church and we got to fix this. You guys need to agree in the Lord. And Paul, beautifully, he doesn't take sides in this. He uses the same exact phrase for both of them so as to not call any particular person out uh, over and above the other. He's saying you both are responsible to agree in the Lord. What is he saying? Figure it out and fix it. Why? Because, going back to my introduction, the mission is too important. The mission that God has called us to is too important. The outside pressure is too great. We need each other. And the church needs each individual moving in the same direction. There need not be factions and divisions within the body of Christ. God has joined us together, right? Let not human differences separate us. When when I officiate a wedding, when I conduct a wedding, I I use that verse. What God has brought together, let not man separate. It's the same thing. Did you know we're almost kind of in a marriage covenant together as a family? You don't just get to run away from that. We're What God has brought together and joined together, let us not separate. The mission is too important for us to just run away when it gets tough. For us to divide and get factions together. Moreover, in this time too, it's not like now where you can, you know, we got we got Eastern Gate down the, a block down here. We got a Rolling Hills Baptist right behind us. We got Little Flog. We got a Presbyterian. There's churches everywhere, right? In, the, in Philippi, the only church in Philippi was this one that he's writing to. You couldn't just run away and join another church. You had to figure it out. You had to be unified. Once the fellowship fractured and people left. They were on their own. And, and here's, here's some insight. You can't just practice the Christian faith on your own. It's, again, Christianity is not a solo sport. We need each other. I want to be clear here. The instruction is not telling these ladies that they have to be best friends. He's not telling them that you've got to forget everything that's gone on. But he's saying you have to agree in the Lord. You have to be together. Verse 1 exhorted them to stand firm thus in the Lord. And again, Paul keeps reiterating that phrase, in the Lord, in the Lord. He's he's reminding us of, of who has reconciled us, who has brought us together, whose family are you a part of? God's family. This is purposeful. He he's reminding the church, he's saying, remember who you belong to. Family, remember who you belong to. Jesus bought you with his blood. Few things grieve a loving father more than when his beloved children cannot get along. Parents, think back to when your kids were young and they were fighting, right? It hurts you. And let's be honest, it's annoying, isn't it? (laughs) We are in the Lord, and thus we must be reconciled to one another in the Lord. How is this accomplished, though? Like, how do we do this? I'm glad you asked that question. Because Jesus, our Lord, gives us instructions in Matthew 18. 
He gives us a practical framework. Here Paul says, agree in the Lord. And if we search the scriptures, we have really a framework on how we agree in the Lord. Verse 15, Matthew 18, 15 says this. If your brother, we could say, or sister, sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Notice this. Between you and him, what? Alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother, right? The relationship's been fixed. It's been reconciled. You agree in the Lord, as Paul has said. I want you to notice here the clear instruction of our Savior, Jesus, to his 12 disciples. He doesn't say if a brother or sister sins against you, right? Go tell your community group. Go share it with your Sunday school. Go post it on Facebook for the whole world to see. No. Jesus instructs, go and tell him or her their fault. And then he says, between you and him, what? Alone. Do you notice the emphasis there? That is step one. Just between each other. You don't need a bunch of people involved. Just you and him. Christian, if, if, if a brother or sister is coming to you with an issue involving another person, this is, this is some practical advice. If someone is coming to you with an issue involving another person that is at the level of what Jesus says here, that they have sinned against you, so something big, okay, it's not something petty, the first step is to pull out your Bible as they're talking, turn to Matthew 18, verse 15, and point to that and say, hey, have you gone and talked to them yet? Just you and them What? Alone. You don't need to involve me just yet. Go and talk to them. I've noticed a trend, though, in pastoral ministry and my time as a leader in various places. We often want to just jump to step two. That's the next verse. We want to take it to others. We want people to take our side. We want someone else to figure out our problem for us. But our Lord teaches, tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, it says, you have gained a brother. If he, right, what has happened? If this person repents and seeks forgiveness, Jesus is saying here, grant it. Be reconciled, right? This is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? We talk about this every week, that a broken relationship has been fixed. We have been reconciled to God, our Father, through the work of his Son, Jesus Christ, That's the beauty of the gospel. And when we get along, when we overcome our differences, we are expressions of the gospel in everyday life. We are being reconciled one to another. We're showing the beauty of the gospel in everyday life. Yet another important teaching in the phrase, the scripture does not say if he he listens, you, you get to hang it over his head, right? Don't we do that? Oh, we said we're sorry when we make it up. But do you remember that one time when you did that thing? We do this a lot in marriage, don't we? Yeah, but you remember that one time you did that one thing? We're not allowed to do that. Forgiveness means it's gone. It's wiped clean. The slate's clean. I'm so thankful my Savior doesn't hold stuff over my head. Because he'd have a long list. You don't get to keep carrying that with you. It says you've gained a brother or a sister. In other words, you've been joined back together again. We call this reconciliation, forgiveness. 
Christian, if someone has wronged you in a significant way, I want to say this, like, don't be petty, right? There are things, there are annoyances that we have. Again, if we acknowledge we're all weird, we're all kind of weird to each other, there's going to be things that are going to annoy us in our everyday relationships. We're not talking about annoyances. We're talking about significant sin against one another. What do you need to do? You need to let that person know so that reconciliation can come. Because if not, there's a danger of festering bitterness within your soul that will grow in you. You don't want that. And Jesus goes on because he knows in our sinful flesh that the one-to-one approach may not work. So he instructs us further in verse 16. He says, but if he does not listen, now notice, take one or two others along with you, right? Not a platoon, not an army, one or two others. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if... The first meeting doesn't work. Then it is wise to involve others. But notice, it's a minimal amount, isn't it? It's only if not everybody needs to be all up in your business is what this is getting at. Just a few trusted, mature followers of Jesus to help you reconcile with your brother or sister in Christ. Which brings us to our third point, going back into our passage. We're going to see Paul instruct really in the same manner as Matthew 18. He calls out uh, these two sisters in Christ to agree in the Lord, and then he calls on a brother in Christ to help them, right? We are co-laborers in the Lord. We're helping each other in this regard. We need each other. That's why the New Testament is littered with passages that say, one another, one another, one another. So we're living the Christian life together. Again, Paul Paul has clearly instructed these women to agree in the Lord, right? To come back together again, and then instructs a friend in the church to help them. Right? Sometimes, again, we cannot work it out ourselves. We need some help. Verse 3. He says, yes, I, I ask you also, he says, true companion. Okay, friend of mine in the church. And it's very clear, help these women. You can, Paul is grieved by this division because he, he reflects on what they have done together within the ministry. He says, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul's saying, these are followers of Jesus. Their name's in the book of life. They've been reconciled by the blood of Jesus. Help them, please, to get along. This takes me back to the introduction of my sermon. Here, Paul brings into focus the mission, right? He's he's taking their eyes off the immediate situation, the division within the church, and he's saying, guys, remember the big picture. Remember what we were put on earth here to glorify God, to worship him forever. We broke that relationship with sin. Jesus has reconciled us and we are reconcilers. We are co-laborers in the Lord seeking uh, to, to reconcile the world to Jesus. The mission is too important to let division fester and grow. These women have labored side by side with him and many others, what? For the gospel, for the good news of Jesus. They were living out the great commission that Jesus had given to them. 
Think about all the, the important mission opportunities that we have. We are, if you're a follower of Jesus, did you know this? I know we send money overseas to missionaries, but each and every one of you is a missionary. Right here in this community. Your role is not lower than those who have gone overseas. Even though that, that commitment and that sacrifice is, is to be commended, it is a commendable thing, but your mission right here in our community is just as important. Don't diminish it. We got to think about all the, the important mission opportunities that we have and yet are hindered if division and disruptions continue within the body of Christ. This is, this is why this is relevant. Our community has made national news. And it's not for something that you want to make national news for. We're heartbroken. We made the news for the most heinous and despicable of crimes imaginable. A mother took the lives of her own children. It's the importance of our, us gathering together. We, we, we don't want to just get together and laugh and have a good time. That's a side effect of fellowship in Christ. But we also want the, the weight of knowing, okay, we minister in a dark world and we need to be equipped for that. We need to be equipped for what is going on in our community. Because Wednesday was a, remind, or a reminder that we, we live in a dark place and a dark world. Death reigned on Wednesday. Another man lost his life on the railroad tracks. So much. Our, if, we, if, we, if we kind of pull back even further, and I think this has to do with what happened on Wednesday, our nation, our community is in an absolute mental crisis. People are hopeless. And yet we are in the Lord. Hear this, family. Know this. We have a message of great hope, don't we? That God is indeed reconciling the world to himself. Beyond being co-laborers, seeking reconciliation to one another, overcoming divisions among us, we have been positioned with Jesus. I want to remind you that our citizenship is in heaven, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because our citizenship is in heaven, we are on mission, and we have been granted a task not only are we co-laborers and seeking to bring about reconciliation within the body, so internally we are reconciled one to another, we are unified, but also we, we desire to seek out the lost and share the message of reconciliation with the whole world, beginning with our community. There's a beautiful passage of scripture that we end on this morning, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Memorize that verse. We could simply say that we are new creations in Christ. <laughs> Scriptures go on. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Notice this now, okay? It doesn't just stop there. We're not just being reconciled and then we kick back in the recliner and watch football on Sunday afternoons. But Christ, Jesus has given us a task. 
Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. What Paul's getting at there is these people are forgiven through faith in the work of Jesus and entrusting to us, this is all of us here, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Paul's going to get to what that message is in verse 21. Just hang on. He says, therefore, right, because of all this, because you are a new creation in Christ, we are ambassadors. What's an ambassador? A representative, right? We're representatives of the kingdom of God. That's amazing. God making his appeal through us. He says, we implore you, we entreat you, we request you on behalf of Christ. This is the message. Be reconciled to God. How are we reconciled? Paul answers that also. For our sake, he made him. The him here that that Paul is talking about is Jesus. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. What is he saying? That Jesus came and lived perfectly. That God, in humility, left heaven and came to earth and took on human flesh. Fully man, fully God. God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus on the cross, did you know this? He became sin. The full wrath of God poured out on him. Why? So that in him, in Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, called this the great exchange. We give Jesus our sin. He clothes us in his righteousness. We have this message. Isn't that amazing? This is what Christ has called us to, not to argue amongst ourselves, but to explode out of this building, out in our community as the light of Christ with this message that Jesus became sin for us so that we can receive his righteousness. Forgiveness granted. Every trespass forgiven. Paul says in another letter that he canceled the record of our debt by nailing it to the cross. This is the Christian gospel. Again, if you, if you didn't hear it, that, that God left heaven and came to earth, took on human flesh, lived in perfect obedience to his law, perfect obedience to the will of the Father, even unto death, death on a cross. Jesus gave up his life on the cross. He shed his blood as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The author of Hebrews calls it the once and for all sacrifice for sin. Jesus died on the cross. He went into the grave. A giant stone was rolled in front of it. But on the third day, my Savior didn't stay in the grave, but by the power of God's Spirit, he was raised from the dead and he emerged in victory over sin and death. And the reconciling message of Christianity is that if you place your faith in the righteousness of Jesus, he will give it to you as a free gift of his mercy and grace. Be reconciled to God. Amen.